So just tell who you are and where your farm is and, you know, just a one-minute introduction to your farm and then tell us how you're marketing your produce. Um, so my husband, Matt, and my name is Deidre, and we farm in South Dakota in the Black Hills. And we have a small market garden there. And we have kind of moved around the country and worked on different market gardens at um, some self-supporting institutions. So we've been in Washington State, South Dakota, and um, Southeast Utah. And so this is, we're going into our third season back in South Dakota, establishing our own farm there. And we have four kids that help us on the farm, and we homeschool and farm school them there. So, so I think, uh, well, for us, marketing has been fairly easy. Um, and you guys can all have the same experience if you move to places where nobody grows food. Uh, and there's not really a competition. It's, it can work pretty well. So, yeah, North Pole, South Pole, you get the idea. <laughs> there are a reason that people don't grow food in certain areas, though. Yeah. So, I, we have, like, one of the, probably the highest hail, uh, I don't know, incidences, storms. Like, last year, our kids, I quit counting, but our kids counted, like, I think 12 different hail, storm, whatever. So, last summer. The year before that, we had a storm that had, like, six inches of hail, so... It has other, you, ha, you know, anyway. So if you have food to market, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> but um, I think our, for us, it's always been, you know, if you have a good product, it'll sell itself for the most part. And um, not being afraid to approach anybody, anybody, and um, sell your product. So, you know, for us, um, you know, we sell a lot of salad, a lot of things to restaurants. So basically, our experience has been with the restaurant, if you can get in the door with anything, you know, something simple, um, then, and, and you can do that consistently, then they're going to want more. And we've had, uh, you know, last year we had a restaurant that we were selling to the year before, and the lady left, which pretty much always happens, which is another way you can do well, because cooks move around like crazy and you know you treat them well and they're going to go somewhere else and you know then you can get that restaurant as well so we had one leave and her mom was not interested in our product at all and we called her and she pretty much just you know not interested hung up the phone i don't have time to deal with you yeah i don't have time to deal with you and her daughter was like you know she wants everything local so it was it was different so I just said okay and um, later in the summer when we had some different things I took some product over there and she was real concerned that we would not be able to deliver which is a problem in our area you know consistently and um, but we I took her some basil and she was like well okay I'll try some and then I took it you know so we took her like 10 pounds and this lady wants like 20 pounds of basil a week at I think $15 a pound, so it adds up pretty quick. And so we took her the, the basil, and then I called her next week, and she said, oh, we're, we've been talking about you all week. Like, this is the most amazing basil we've ever seen. And, you know, so the product sold itself. We just had to get it there. And 
I would, I just want to reiterate what he said is that having a quality product that you're not afraid to, um, you know, just really consistently push people like you got to try it, you got to try it because when they do, then they're, they're really excited to have it. And a lot of chefs, you know, talk to other chefs in the area and, um, you earn a reputation. And so that's just one outlet that we use is we sell a lot of wholesale produce to restaurants. We also, um, go to farmers market so we have we don't have a great big farmers market in our area like a lot of big metropolitan areas like portland or seattle where we kind of came from um and so there's smaller markets and so we attend you know several different farmers markets a week in different areas and obviously we don't go to the largest farmers markets on um saturday so that you know is kind of challenging but we've found that there's less farmers at the midweek midweek markets and so you know the people that come out get really excited to find good fresh produce and so you kind of get a following that way and then another avenue for marketing our produce is we started a csa program so we've done csa programs in the past and when we came to this farm two and a half years ago and we were establishing it we did not want to do a CSA program um, for a while because it comes with some risk. You are accountable to your CSA members because you're taking money up front. And we didn't want to get in over our heads and not be able to follow through. So that's like the professionalism and the quality that we're talking about. So halfway through the season, we decided, you know, we have... The nice thing about CSAs is you can move some produce that maybe isn't moving other places like farmer's market or you're not selling as much to restaurants as you thought you would. And so it can be a good avenue for that, for um, challenging people with new varieties. And um, so we started a small CSA program and that was really successful. And we have had a 60-person CSA program in the area before, so we know we can grow it. We're just not ready to do that now. So you can kind of move different product in different avenues, and so it's beneficial to have more than just one area to market your produce. So one more quick thing is um, this might seem like counterintuitive or not what marketing people say, but we, we have felt that if... Um, we don't try and push our product. We try and let the Lord open the doors. So, and usually we find out later that we didn't have enough product or we didn't have what we thought we'd have or whatever. And, you know, so a great example is we have a co-op that wasn't interested in our food and um, we just kind of let the doors open and it's growing a ton. And now they've offered us to have a market there one day a week and we'll basically be the only vendor right out in front of their co-op which is going to really grow that market. So let the Lord open the doors and do what you're able to do. So one quick question for you. Do you have an idea of percentages as far as restaurants, CSA, farmer's market? Well, last year the CSA was pretty small. but um, So I think last year, it's our second year, we grossed about 60000 and. About 20,000 of that was wholesale, and I think 18,000 it was farmer's market, and then the rest was kind of local farm sales and CSA. Okay, so pretty equal between the three. Okay, next, tell us who you are and where you're from and what you do. Well, we're 
the Childrens, Mark and Verna, and our four children. And we live about 100 miles south of Nashville. And uh, the area we have is um, we have a, you know, we're doing market gardening. That's what we're planning to do and what we are doing. We uh, uh, have a reality there because the uh, area that we would sell to is the Muscle Shoals um, Quad Cities area, and it's just not that big. And there wasn't, there was a farmer's market there, and there always has been, but it's not a producer market. And further complementing, complicating the situation is the fact that we're not the only people growing there. We have a large Amish community about an hour north of us, and they have an auction, produce auction there that somebody operates. And so the dealers at the farmer's market would just go up there and get things for the, you know, for a song while somebody else went to sleep. <laughs> and so we had that to compete with. We were going there, but this last summer we just said we're not going to go there. The uh, spirit was not good. There was a lot of competition, and they, uh, their attitude toward us was not the most um, congenial. So in the meantime, somebody else started a farmer's market uh, and somewhere else in town that was a producer's market, but it takes a lot of work to do it. And that was last year. And this summer they continued, but they just wore out. So we don't know what we're going to do for a farmer's market next year. Um, we are just waiting on the Lord on that one. Amen. And then we had a small CSA and um, also a couple of restaurants that we supplied. And in this case, one of those restaurants it was a restaurant owner that was interested, so you don't worry about the uh, cook so much. The owner liked, likes our stuff, and he, uh, we didn't have a very good success of potatoes, but he got those potatoes, and he said, well, I'd like to pay you for the rest of them. You just keep them and bring them then <laughs> when they're ready. So we made a guess of how much we thought would still be good then, and we supplied them. Um, so, you know, that's... Again, the thing is, the quality of your produce has a lot to do with it. And we also did set up um, on the corner in a town about six miles away that has about a thousand people. So as you can imagine, we didn't make a whole lot, but it was a good way to get people to know us. We... Uh the, um, we, last year, we decided to dive into a very small CSA. I did a lot of consulting with Pam. The Die Singers have been uh, great mentors for us, and Aubrey and Alan and, and uh, Bob Gregory. We've, um, we've uh, learned a lot from all of them. But um, we started out with four customers. Let's see, was it four? Four or five, huh? That's a good start. <laughs> we, we were scared to do too much. Not that we can't grow the food, but we just, you know, it was totally new, and we were scared of not being able to pr uh, provide for our customers. And uh, so then um, uh, a little bit later, well, we, got, we got real good feedback from our customers, 
And then there was one man, he said, oh, my brother, I told my brother about the CSA. Would you consider taking him on as a member? And so they joined, and then there was somebody else that wanted to join. And so we ended up with uh, five to seven, something like that, uh, total for our CSAs. And uh, we, because the, um, the second market, the producers only market, had a very nice spirit there. We were really, um, we really, I loved going to that market. This last summer, I didn't miss a single time because I'm like Pam, that's, it's just, it's food for my soul to go down there and, and be able to interact with the people and the CSA customers. And it's, it's so thrilling what, what some of the things that can happen. And, um, so, um, but they, because of the burnout on the part of the, um, of the managers, they decided that, uh, they weren't going to continue doing it. So, uh, the brewery, which is adjacent to the market where we were going, they decided they wanted to try taking it over. So we told them, well, if the brewery is going to take it over, we're out. But, um, we have some loyal customers down there, a lot of good contacts, and we we hope that something will open up for a market down there. There's more CSA members. Yeah, right, right. And at that um, when the market closed, it closed the end of August this year, which was rather early. <laughs> but we we made provision. We we offered um, to to bring produce to people if they would order. So it was kind of like the online order thing where they could order whatever they wanted to, but it wasn't online. It was, it was via text or email messages, which was, uh, that was kind of a little bit stressful in our, um, our packing house situation was very bad. But this winter, thank the Lord, we're getting a packing shed built and that will help us a lot. And then, uh, yeah, we do some local sales. We have the uh, strawberries are a, a really big um, help to us. And the blueberries in the wintertime. Blueberry plants. Yeah, the children's propagate blueberry plants. We've gotten quite a number from them. So, so... This, you know, I, I gave you a lot of, of tips this morning on, you know, being within an hour's drive of a large metropolitan area and stuff, and the children's don't fit into that, um, but they're making it work, you know, the Lord's leading and guiding, and, and many times it's not exactly how you think it should be or how you want it to be. But, um, you know, they're a good one to talk to if if you are living in maybe a little more remote area. Um, but one thing I just wanted to comment on, they, they, they use the term producers only, and I think maybe you failed to distinguish between the two. There's what you call peddler's markets, where the produce is not being grown by those who are selling it. And then there's producers only markets. You want to stay as far away from peddler's markets as you can, because it's it's unfair competition. You know, like I say, they're going to the Amish, or like they said, they're going to the Amish and buying really, really cheap produce. If you live near Amish, that's, that's hard. 
because um, we talked about children. You know, they have lots of children, and so they, they've got, got very cheap labor. Um, so anyway, you're looking for producers-only markets, which are going to be much, much better all the way around. Okay, let's move on. So my name is Alan Seiler, and um, and um, Aubrey, my sister, and I, and our family run Better Together Farm in South Central Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plains. And um, from South Dakota. From South Dakota. Yeah, it's it's all Matt's fault. <laughs> so, um, anyways, but um, we're in an area where. Um, the food movement in general is probably about 10 years behind the rest of the United States in general. And so we don't really have any type of decent farmer's markets in our area. Um, so that really pushed us several years ago to really start exploring the online marketing media um, and, and how to do that and, and how to do that hopefully well. And in a way where... Hmm, um, we can hopefully scale up to um, a, uh, a place where we can you know, support ourselves. And so it became really important for us to find a software that could help manage multiple customers because we do really like, there's several reasons. We do primarily uh, direct-to-consumer sales where you get usually um, top dollar because you're taking out the middleman in that approach. And I know, um, I mean, I have heard people doing wholesale um, really well. And I guess, Emian, we'll, you'll talk about that. I think you do that. So we haven't really explored that much. We've really tried to, to go direct to the consumer for a few reasons. And not that doing wholesale is bad, but for us, we really like the idea of having direct interaction with our consumers. But also, when you have direct interaction with your consumers, it also means that you have a lot of people to talk to, which means that you're inefficient necessarily in moving a lot of products. So trying to have a balance between the two has really been something that we're trying to do. So currently, we use a software called Farmigo, which um, is a great platform, and Aubrey will talk more about that. But it helps streamline a lot of the, that process, and I, I think we'll, we will get better at that in the future. The nice thing about the software is that it has a lot of different portals that can be utilized in the future, whether wholesale, whether CSA, whether on market. Like You can manage a lot of different type of stuff, and, and it can grow with you. And I think some people find it an expensive platform to use, but if you're moving, let's say, in the future somewhere between uh, 150 to, let's say, $300,000 worth of product off of your farm in a given season, um, the percentage that they charge might be, like, let's say, $10,000 for something like that, which, if you look at it that way, you, you can never hire someone to create and maintain a platform like that for you for that amount. So that's kind of how I try to look at it. If I was to hire someone to do this, to design and to maintain a platform, what would that cost? And that's kind of how I get my mind wrapped around the, the cost of, of the software. So Aubrey will talk a little bit more about the, the details of kind of how it works and, and why we've gone that way. Yeah, this is our fifth year, sixth year. No, and I think we've literally tried a different system every single season. So just because we're recommending Farmigo to you this year doesn't mean we're going to recommend Farmigo to you next year. And we probably didn't recommend it last year when we were doing something similar like this. So we're constantly like, okay, 
what worked, what didn't work, what can we try better? Is there somebody, because with the, like this one tech, the best, though, wouldn't you technology say? advancing so quickly, there's constantly new products coming into the market. And so we're always looking and like, I have one currently, a webinar sitting in my inbox that I need to go listen to for another marketing software. Um, really? Yeah. I haven't told you about it oh, yet. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, 10, 10, Ted, something like T that. Yes, yeah, something, I think... Uh, Gene, um, Jam. Yeah, Jam yeah. uses it or whatever. So, um, Farmigo, we because we do direct to customer. Uh, although we do have a couple chefs that we've been working with. True. And it's working with chefs is actually, uh, it's it can be fun and it can be not so fun. Um, but the chefs that we have have been really fun, and they're both guys, which is I love seeing guys excited about like quality food. That is just, I don't know why that does my soul so good. But to see, you know, guys and they're just like, oh, this beautiful lettuce. And, uh, and like, this is something seems really right about this. Um, uh. So it, um, it's been fun working with chefs. And we have, kind of have to modify it a little differently. So Farmigo hasn't really worked super well. I haven't been able to figure out a way to work for our chefs really well yet. So it really um, shines in our direct-to-consumer sales. And it's kind of like a modified CSA because people purchase what we call a membership, um, which does nothing but give them access to our online platform. And then they buy the produce on top of that. Um, so it just gives us extra income and it gives them feeling like they're part of something without us having to be um, promising them so much uh, every season. How much is the uh, I think the membership has been 49 a season um, and we have two seasons a year. So, so it's like a hundred bucks per customer, and they are pretty happy with that arrangement. Um, like I said, we experiment and change everything, change things every year. Um, but we found when we were looking into it, especially for our demographic, and if you live in a food desert, this might be something that you want to consider as well. I realize that if you're in the Pacific Northwest, more than likely you're not in a food desert. Um, but if you're in Midwest or in the South. You could be coming across something like this. We found that our demographic really, really, really valued being able to select their own produce when they ordered online. Um, we did a little market research and said, okay, if you, we pick your produce, like standard CSA, or if you pick your produce, which do you prefer? And it was like 90% wanted to pick their own. So we're like, okay, now let's figure out how we make this work for people. Um, and then we currently are, we deliver our produce to a specific location. Well, we set up every week in a specific location. People come and pick up their orders there, and we box it really nicely in these clear plastic totes, and they have their name on it, and it's really nice. Farmigo does all of, well, Farmigo doesn't box their stuff, but, it, like, it gives us their labels and things like that. Orders. Um, I am really pushing us to start moving more towards trying to figure out how we either create drop zones where people can pick up their stuff without us having to be there waiting for them to pick it up or delivering it to their house. Because as we move further and further into the future, when people order something online, they don't expect to have to go pick it up somewhere, usually. They expect for it to show up at their door, thanks to Amazon. And so we're really like, okay, how do we make this work? So if you guys think about, think and think of an idea where, because there's lots of, I found lots of places that they, they will gather produce and like uh, deliver it, but they don't actually grow the produce. Or you have people that grow the produce that can't deliver it because it's just like 
how so as a small grower how do you combine those worlds without being completely financially ridiculous um so that's something we're toying around with and uh, we'll report next year if we've figured out something but if you figured out something let us know because that's that that's the next like big hill we're trying to cross and and the idea with that is just to try to lower the bar of access because a lot of the things with, with selling, let's say, at a farmer's market or doing a CSA where people have to come and actually pick up their product, that's just another step. And so, I mean, people are pretty lazy. Um, not, I, I wouldn't go pick up Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't produce. either. No. I, I probably wouldn't either. So the idea is that what would, what, would, what would have to happen for you to actually make that step? And so the idea is that, well, if you can just lower that bar enough so that it's as simple as mud... Um, yeah, and convenient for them, then then we feel like that's going to increase. And then, but then we we've thought about, and I'll just okay, just one thing. So if you do that, if you still want the community interaction, we thought it maybe having a meal on the farm, maybe three times during the growing season, where people can come and actually interact with us on the farm if they want that. Maybe that would be another place so that we wouldn't totally lose that interaction with our customers. Um. Just a point on the uh, people coming to the farm, Kimberly's folks, uh, my wife's parents, Byron and Janice Smith, they ran a CSA uh, at their farm in Arizona and they peaked out somewhere around uh, a thousand members. So they had some experience there and one of the things that they learned was people really loved coming to the farm. They had a couple of events a year, they put on food and that really built a bridge uh, with the customer loyalty. Um, so Kimberly and I, we, uh, her, with her parents having that experience in the, the CSA type uh, farm, we started our farm thinking to go along that line, Market Garden CSA. One of the challenges, uh, though, is that we live in a town that's about four hours, three to four hours from a large metropolitan area. And uh, we had assumed that we would push produce in Vancouver and region where the, the, the interest in the local food movement is super high. I mean, we're on the, the west coast here. It's just, it's, it's hot. So it, it wouldn't have been a problem, uh, we don't think, but fairly quickly you, you get into these things and you make some decisions. So one of the decisions we made is that I didn't want to travel uh, twice a week, four hours each way, eight hours a day, two days a week, spent doing nothing but driving. Now, when you have to get work done, and two out of seven days, or two out of six, is spent behind the wheel, it just wasn't going to make sense for me. You know, can't really be with the kids, it's hard for them to travel, so we, we asked the CSA fairly quickly. We were using Farmigo, it was great, and uh, we think that we could have gotten a fantastic uh, following in Vancouver, but it wasn't working, going to work for our family. Yeah. Incidentally, there are some uh, local farms, a uh, neighbor of ours, as well as a neighbor about... Uh, 40 minutes away. They do the once to twice weekly trip into Vancouver and they sell their produce there. That's the commitment they've done. It's working for them. They're putting on the miles and, and that's okay. They're, they're getting it. But we didn't want to do that. So we pivoted over to wholesale. And uh, initially we thought, well, we're right beside Whistler. Does anybody know who Whist what Whistler is? It's a ski town. It's a resort town, okay? Whistler's a really interesting sort of a setup. We're, we're in a small town. It's kind of a depressed economy, especially after the, uh, the fiber market. Uh, the, that's the wood uh, industry tanked uh, back in the, the late 80s, early 90s up there. So the, the economy is a little depressed. But Whistler 
doesn't depress because Whistler is subject to the world economy. As long as the world at large has people of wealth and, and, and means, Whistler's going to do fine. And what do you think the people in Whistler want to consume? Something of interest, you know, something new, something local. So the, 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 the feedback out of Whistler is fantastic for any local produce. Incidentally, they're high enough that they don't grow a lot of local produce. There's a bedroom community called Pemberton, but uh, 40 minutes away. And they're able to grow some, but certainly not sufficient to, to, to feed the interest there. So we thought, well, this could be a, an interesting thing between the stores in our local area and a few other stores. Maybe we'll head a little bit towards the, the east and we'll head a little bit towards the west where Whistler is and we'll get this following uh, in, the, in the stores. One of the challenges with uh, doing wholesale to the retailer is what you don't get when you're working with a chef, for example, or when you're working with a, uh, a direct customer. And what you get is forgiveness. Okay, mm -hmm. so, so when, you're, when your romaine lettuce is supposed to be 24 count case, right, and, and, and they're supposed to be equivalent of nearly a two pound head in the summer because you're competing with the stuff out of California in the middle of summer. Okay, when you, when you need a big substantial head of romaine and you're selling that to the store, you need to look just like the stuff out of California. Otherwise, why? Otherwise, they look bad. And I hate to say this, but everybody's out to make sure that they look good. So when you're marketing your produce wholesale, that has to be paramount in the back of your mind. You need to make them look good. Right? Because there's a store right yeah, down the street from them. The store. You yes. Yeah. You need to make the store look good. Because there's a store right down the street from them that's trying to eat their lunch. Mm -hmm. And if they have big, beautiful produce at the same price that... The, um, the store you're selling to has local, less than beautiful produce, it's tough for them to swallow. So your, your job in, in marketing here is, is to try to make, in wholesale marketing, is to try to make your customer look good. What makes that easier, interestingly, is having it in a package. As soon as it's in a package, it's no longer the produce manager's responsibility. It's my brand now. It's my responsibility. And so you know, when, when we first started out, we were now doing um, baby salads and garlic. And everything that we do is in a package. And it has a UPC code. And you put the UPC code on it so it's easy. You're lowering, just like Alan's saying, you lower the barrier to entry. For Now, who's my customer in this case? It's the produce manager. You lower the barrier to entry so it's not difficult for them to run it through their till. All they have to do is that new product comes to their store, they enter it into their system, and boom, it scans on all their tills. It's easy for them. That's key. So all of our products are in packages with a finished uh, label on it, and then it has a UPC code on it. And now when the customer is unhappy with the product, guess whose fault it is? It's mine. They don't go and talk to the produce manager and say, hey, this lettuce isn't what I expected. If it was unbranded product on the shelf in the bulk sort of produce area, they would go talk to the produce manager. It's not their fault, but that's who they talk to. As soon as my label's on it, they email me. They say, hey, this is what we found or didn't find. And honestly, we've never heard any feedback. One of the things, by the way, about um, never heard feedback to the negative, except for this last summer, uh, we have to admit, there's a little bug that occasionally you know, sneaks in, and <laughs> one customer found one of these little bugs. So, so oh. we got some feedback. Yes, we congratulated them on having found the one that got through and, and so on. It's, it's organic produce, after all. Uh, 
Lowering the barrier to entry when you're working with, it was free, no charge. <laughs> lowering the barrier to entry when you're dealing with wholesale as well, uh, baseline sort of right to play, uh, permission to play in that game is certified organic. So we're certified organic as well because as soon as you're going to, to try to make a sale, that's one of the questions, like what are your features, you know, do you have uh, air conditioning and uh, leather seats and so on, you know, that's the same conversation in the produce world. What are your features, what can you put on there where we can say you are more special? The other, the other thing that's interesting, I should just comment about the, the salads, so you know when we first started doing salads, these are, these are baby salads in a, in a finished package, clamshell style with a safety um, seal and so on. And we're doing eight to 10,000 packs a week uh, these days. And so there's some reasonable volume there. But um, what we are, it's, it's coming. It's, that's eight to 10,000 packs a week. I, I, I you know, roughly think you can do 2,500 to 3,000 packs per week per acre, um, depending on how you manage your, you know, you need the heat units, you need the solar energy, but yeah, sort of around there. So we, we have four acres um, available for salads right now and we can push another, you know, if we needed to, we could push another 10, 15 acres into that, but we're doing four acres for now. So when we first started, you know, you don't have this all figured out. You, you don't have the timings, uh, the growth, the seeding, uh, um, the seeding frequency and so on relative to your harvest. And so sometimes our baby lettuce was this big. And I mean, which of you have, have bought a package salad where baby lettuce was up, we've heard nothing. If we had done that in an unbranded product, we would have, we would have lost the sale. But with our customers, see you get forgiveness with the person who's eating it, you get forgiveness with the chef, you get forgiveness with the CSA member, you don't forget forgiveness uh, with the produce manager whose name, whose name is on the line. So the other thing to, to consider, by the way, when you, when you start putting things in your own packaging, when you start managing your brand beyond the, the label on your, your, um, your tent, you know, at, at, the, at the farm stand, yeah. Your, your, your label, your package, your advertising stuff, it gets you your first sale. It gets you introduction, it gets you what's called trial. Now, you don't make any money on trial. You spend money on trial. So when you, if you're going to get into a larger marketing program and so on and so forth, you're going to dump all your, your interest and your energy, your, your, your graphic design, your, your um, printing costs and so on. You're going to dump all of this to get trial. You don't make any money on trial. You make money on repeat. You make money in the second sale and the third sale and the fourth sale. How do you get repeat? Quality, Quality product. That's right. So as many people have set up here, once, you know, the, the product needs to sell itself. So for us, we have British Columbia because local is big. That's all the marketing we have on our label. That sells the product when people look at it in the store. Oh, wow, there's no other source of this product uh, that's grown right here. So they automatically buy it. Now, what gets them the second sale is the fact that that produce lasts for, uh, we get 21 to 30 days on our cut salad. How many of you go to the store and buy a package of earthbound organic salad and find that you have to pick through the stuff to get out all the little slimy bits? We don't do that. Yeah, actually, I, I don't know how long they get, but the research I've uh, found is, is that they're actually getting 13 to 17 days on their product. 
So I'm not quite sure how we're getting more, but we are. And um, so that sells itself. So quality of product, quality of production gets you your repeat. It gets you your loyalty, your label. It just needs to be simple. It needs to be clearly communicate your attributes, your local, your organic, whatever. Simple. It's going to get that trial. Repeat depends on the product. Okay, so I, I love the fact that we've got diversity up here and um, diversity of size and diversity of marketing. I just wanted to point out something that that Imian said and just kind of emphasize it. Uh, if you're selling wholesale and you want to get the best price, you really need to be certified organic. If you're selling retail and you get a reputation and people know you, you know, my wife told you we're not certified organic. We were for many years, but for a number of reasons, we chose to drop that and we don't feel like it hurt our sales at all because we're selling retail. But wholesale, it's really a requirement. You need to be certified organic in order to get a good price. Okay, last one. So I think for most people, if you've been here for the whole time, you've kind of gotten an overview on our farm as far as how we um, market stuff. I don't know. I know Mom went through um, all the pros and cons. I don't know if she really said exactly what we do. Um, but definitely CSA has been our staple for the last... 12 or 14 years, I guess. Um, and farmer's market. And then what we use wholesale for is honestly um, overflow. And we're blessed to have a pretty simple way to move um, produce to restaurants in our area. And I don't know how common it is, but there's a... Um, there's a guy that started a, a food hub in Nashville for um, restaurants where we can go and list up extra produce that we have. Um, he delivers twice a week, and so we have to list up like two days before his delivery. Um, restaurants will just go and order, um, and it could just be one little thing, um, but multiple restaurants order and then we just meet him and we give him the orders for all these restaurants so we don't have to worry about if there's little orders because it's a bunch of orders combined um and so that's been a really a really neat way and an easy way to move some of that excess um either after farmers market or just crops that grew you know better than we expected um, so that's, that's something to look into if you have options like that in your area. Um, and, you know, pretty much just like everybody said, for farmer's markets, you just need to be the stand that catches everybody's eye. You have to have the best produce or at least make it look like you have the best produce at the farmer's market. Um, you know, have a stand that's that's pretty. Like we have people at our farmers market that, um, you know, they have three tables and three tablecloths that 
you know, look terrible together and stuff is just kind of laid on the table and there's just not much that's aesthetically pleasing about their stand, even though their produce might be fine. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing with farmer's market is you just have to stand out. Um, also being, being at the farmer's market as the farmer um, is a is another thing that people appreciate and that draws them to your stand. If they know that you know about what's on the table and you can tell them about things, um, it gives more of a connection. You know, a lot of people's stands are run by interns that have only been on the farm for, you know, by the end of the season, they've been on the farm for a few months, but at the beginning of the season, you know, they don't really know much of anything about so people ask questions and they can't really answer and so people aren't necessarily going to want to go back to that stand um, so being as the farmer yourself being at the stand um, is another thing that we found that really um, helps with that interaction and people um, coming back just to add to what you're saying about the farmer being at the stand, as well as to your point, John, about not needing to be certified organic when you're selling direct. The reason why is because when you're selling direct and when you're at the farmer's stand, what you're selling is relationship. You're selling a relationship with you, the farmer. That's a big difference. And we really tried to capitalize on that, um, you know, because we live in a world that is starved for meaningful relationships. You know, you don't even grocery stores and, and stores are even trying to get away from checkout people, right? You know, they're trying to get you to go to self-checkout. I mean, it's crazy. But people literally, we're, we're convinced people come to farmer's markets, people sign up for our CSA just because it's a relationship. It's a real person they can, they can talk to. I think the common theme through all of this, what was the common theme that you heard? Quality product and relationships. Those are the two key themes. Um, again, Immian has a unique situation there, but they're making the most of it. And I totally agree. Driving eight hours to city is way too much. So just a quick comment is that there are going to be a certain amount of people that are willing to have that type of relationship with you. And then there's some people that could care less, but they still want your product. And so I, I totally agree about the relationship thing, but also don't be scared away about reaching out to other avenues because there's people that probably still want your product that don't necessarily need to see your face every time to get it either. So I'm, I'm not downing that. I'm just that's something that we've been considering is like, you know, it's like that entry level, lowering the level, but it might mean that there's less of you involved in that, but that's also a potential sale for someone that would still value it even though they don't want to directly come and pick it up. Quite frequently, because we're selling direct to consumers, we have spiritual conversations with our customers on a fairly regular basis. Um, we've actually had some of our customers come to church. We have... Um, actually had certain customers come to our house and we've done cooking schools with them like in our house um, so um, had people come over and actually want to work on our farm with us 
um, and talk with us about things just in, in general or specifically trials they're going through. It's amazing when you're selling someone something that's so fundamental to life, food, how much they'll open up in other ways. And, you know, I like the, um, I like the quote from Ministry of Healing that says, one well-ordered, well-disciplined family speaks more volume in favor of the gospel than all the sermons that can be preached. Okay? And so, in many ways, um, being overt, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but the sermon that you preach with your life, like, I believe it's Paul that says, you are my epistles to be read of all men. He wasn't talking about that these people had epistles written to their shirts. He's saying the way you live, the way your life is different, speaks more volume to the world around you. And um, in that way, um, I think uh, the power of, of the farm and, and how we're doing things, you can't, the, the problem with that is that it's not a very easy way to quantify success because you don't know where you're touching people in the heart. Um, but I think all of us know that even though we might not tell something someone, there are people that have influenced us, even though they might not have it as a number, like number of Bible studies or whatnot. I have one quick thing. So our first farm that we started in Washington, we called it Healing Foods Farm, and we offered a 10% discount to anyone that was sick, which opened the doors wide open for conversation. <laughs> so, you know, you can do stuff like that, get creative. We actually had a cancer ward that was wanting to buy our produce, and it was, it was pretty cool. People would ask if toenail fungus counted. I mean, people would just try to get a discount, and they, yeah, I mean, it's funny, for 10%. Um, but I want to speak to that, too, because um, our garden is called Tobias Garden, and our tagline is Growing with the Goodness of God. And that is on our banner at Farmer's Market, it's on our business cards, it's on our website, it's on our Facebook page. And um, social media posts, you know, we talk about the Sabbath, um, we put that before people. Um, you know, God's creative work when we would put pictures up. And so we do put it before our customers a lot. Um, and uh, what else was I going to say about that? Um, so, you know, we don't push it on people, but it's there and they can read it. When we put labels on our packages, when they go out to the local co-op and we package our salad mix, it's right there. It's just our tagline. And then just our name, Tobias Garden, like that was a divine intervention, like are the whole reason that we've come into farming, it's just a story of God leading us every step of the way. And, you know, people say, how'd you get into farming? And we can talk about the Lord and how he's led us into health and he's led us to farming and why we're raising our kids on the farm. And pretty much anything that people ask us about our greenhouse, it's a story of faith and how we've stepped out in faith and the Lord has worked in our lives. And so I totally agree with you that the life we live is our test is you know witness to people you know and um, the food and the health that you're giving to them is just an entering wedge. So. Okay, so she's asking um, about agritourism and if any of us have um, used that opportunity to generate income. Okay, does anybody want to speak to that in particular? We. And when we were in Black Hills, we did a farm dinner for the community, like a farm-to-table event, which went over really well. Um, but, you know, we've only done that and then, like, farm dinners for CSA members. And so we haven't really done a lot of agritourism-type stuff, um, but would like to in the future, but we've just kind of been jumping around, so... I sit on a local agricultural board, and uh, this is a, re it's a perennial topic, so it's... Um, <laughs> 
something you know, that's appropriate to come up here. Um, depends on your location, right? And it depends on the, the, the volumes of travelers you have going through. And then are those travelers looking to purchase something or are they looking to stay? So in our region, for example, uh, we're re very much a pass-through community. We're not a, a stop-and-buy community. So 15-minute stops for the buses when they're going through. You know, there's not a lot of other activities, so people aren't looking to stay overnight. So if we were to do agritourism in, in, in our community, um, it, it really needs to be something small that they can buy and take with them because they don't want to spend two hours. If you're in another region where, you know, the, the, the sort of ethos was different, um, it, it has potential, but it, it, is, it does complicate your farming operation substantially, so you need to recognize that as being a, probably a primary business model instead of, instead of a, a, a secondary, because if it's a secondary, it's going to distract from your core, core uh, uh, intent. Uh, there hasn't been anything, I haven't heard anything about flowers this year yet, and I just wanted to mention that uh, the flowers are really a ministry as well as a business, and uh, our girls have started a, it's, it's, it's become a flower business, but um, every time somebody comes through the market that has any children, I like to give them a flower, and I've made some special little friends that way. <laughs> And then one time um, we, were, we were snapping beans and bagging them uh, to sell to people there at the market, just doing it right there. And there were some little girls that came over there, and they wanted to join in doing it, and they were just thrilled with it. And then one of our CSA customers says, can I come and do it? I used to do this when I was, you know, when I was growing up. And just little things like that that people feel uh, they get to – like this, some of our customers just hang around for quite some time because they just enjoy being there. And we and we usually have enough of us there, so that you know once it there is quite a there's quite an operation to get to a farmer's market, and then setting up can take an hour. And so, quite that long. well, anyway, for the amount of time we have, we need several of us, and so success tailgating produce on a roadside corner any anybody done that i, I haven't personally but I'm, I'm closely connected uh, with fountain view academy and uh, 20 to 30 years ago uh, they had a, uh, a very a weekly twice weekly actually trailer in town you know old mr luchak would come into town and he would set up shop and even as a non-christian non-adventist at the time we knew he was going to be there and we bought our produce there and uh, they ran a little business out of it. I can't comment on its success. Mr. Luchak uh, Sr. has passed, but um, uh, it was, you know, he sold out. Yeah, I, I, I think it depends on your location and a lot of, there's a lot of variables. It could work. Uh, probably you're not going to have the same quantity of customers as you would at a good farmer's market, um, but it could be much more convenient. I hope that was very helpful, um, gave you a lot of, of different thoughts and you saw some repeating patterns and you saw some differences and so you can take that and run with it. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.